Bibles and turn back to Esther chapter 6. We could, uh, we have the title of A Sleepless King this morning. We could also call it Sleepless in Shushan. Um, For some of you that may be significant, but others maybe not. But here we have uh, the account of King Ahasuerus being a unable to sleep at night, and uh, we're going to see how significant that is. Sleepless king. Now, there's a saying that went around a number of years ago, and you probably uh, could still see it on posters, refrigerators, and bulletin boards even today. The saying is, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, Now, if anyone had said that to Haman on the day in our text here, As he left home and hurried to the palace, they would have been wrong. They should have said, or could have said, Haman, today is the last day of your life. Well, I want you to notice with me three verses of Scripture before we get to chapter 6 here. The first one is found in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, where it says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And then notice Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then finally, the third verse, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Now, on the basis of these three verses, we can conclude that God's desire for sinners is not that they die, but they should turn from their sins and be saved. There is joy in heaven when a sinner repents. But the Lord won't force people to turn from their sins and trust his son. He said there in Matthew 23, How often would I have gathered, and ye would not. Now, as much as we might dislike Haman and his conniving ways, and we can see his wickedness throughout this account here in Esther, we must keep in mind that God loves sinners. I'm so thankful this morning he did because that meant he loved me. And he wants to save sinners. Something we need to remember. You know, there's a lot of evil going on in our world today. There's a lot of evil people, wicked people, yet God loves them, and he desires to save them. God is long-suffering and brings various influences to bear upon people's hearts as he seeks to turn them from their evil ways. Again, we're going to see the providence of God at work in this chapter And some of the influences at work. Notice with me, first of all, a night of discovery. A night of discovery. Now we read there in verses 1 through 5, how the providence of God's hand is invisibly at work in the life of King Ahasuerus. 
God was working out his purposes, whether the king knew it or not. And you see this in the five evidences of God's providence. The first evidence is in the king's insomnia. No doubt many a king, a rich man or a leader, even a pastor, has had some sleepless nights. And I can vouch for that. There have been times when I, as your pastor, have awakened at night and been able to go back to sleep as I started thinking about the busyness of the past day or the schedule for the next day. Or as I contemplate some of the trials and the difficulties of the folks of our church. You know, often when a king or a rich man tries to sleep, it is difficult because of the weight of the responsibility. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Now, was it the cares of his kingdom here that kept the king awake? Was he worried about his finances? Did he eat something that was bothering him the night before, or the evening before or drink too much at the queen's banquet? You know, sometimes that can keep us awake when we eat too much or we uh, uh, have uh, too much fun the day before and then we can't sleep. Or was he puzzled about the, the queen's mysterious request? Now, it could have been some or all of these worries that may have played a part in his sleeplessness. But behind them, I believe, was the sovereign hand of God who watches over his people and never sleeps or slumbers or sleeps. As it says in Psalm 121, verse 3 and 4, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, I think that would be a good source of comfort for each one of us. While you're going to sleep or trying to go to sleep, God doesn't. He's awake all the time and he's keeping watch over us. And God's compassions never fail, but they're new every morning, as it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, because God never sleeps and never stops working all things together for our good, as it tells us in Romans 8, 28. God wanted the king to stay awake because he had something to tell him. Now notice the second evidence of God's providence, and that was in the king's choice of entertainment. I don't think the king Hazareras was ever at a loss for sources of entertainment. He could have called on one of his concubines from his harem, or he might have brought in the court musicians to play for him, and he and his guards, they could have played a game together. Good game of Dutch Blitz, that would have gotten to sleep, right? Probably not. But he might have asked even a minstrel to come and entertain him with a ballad to sing softly some song to him and help him go to sing asleep, maybe a lullaby. He had all kinds of options. And his decision was to have a book read to him. And that was certainly of God, wasn't it? Now, can God direct us even in such minor matters, uh, uh, matters as our activities and even our recreation? Certainly. 
I read about a young college student who attended a birthday party, and while he was there, a decision to change schools eventually uh, uh, came about uh, by talking to somebody, and he, he did change schools, and he met the girl that was to become his wife at that new school. Now, we would never underestimate the ordinary things that God can do through ordinary event like a birthday party. Again, I don't believe there are any accidents or happen chances with God. And then notice, thirdly, the servant's choice of books. God directed Ahasuerus to ask for the king's chronicles to be read to him. Now, I'm sure that there was a whole shelf full of chronicles to choose from. There's no doubt it would have been very boring. Hopefully the effect on the king would help him go to sleep. Would have been like reading the minutes of a business meeting, maybe. No doubt that's why sometimes when you have a business meeting, the motion is made to suspend the reading of the minutes, especially if they've been printed out and, and uh, handed out. It can be boring, especially if the previous meeting had been a long meeting. Now, for some people, reading anything will put them to sleep. I know. I live with one. My wife tells me when she's going to bed, okay, I'm going to go read my page. I don't know if she ever gets through that whole page or not, but it means that she's going to go read a page of a book she's been reading. It takes her a long time to read books. And then she's going to be ready to fall asleep and That's usually the case. Can you imagine reading something like the Chronicles of a Kingdom? Or how about getting a copy of the State of Wisconsin statute book? That'll put you to sleep, especially if someone else is reading it to you. Now, here we have the king's servant take from the shelf the very book that recorded Mordecai's service to the king about five years before. And certainly there were other volumes available, but this is the one the servant selected. So again, remember, we're looking at five evidences of God's providence. The king's insomnia, the king's choice of entertainment, the servant's choice of the book, and fourthly, the king's delay in rewarding Mordecai. Now, this is a very important matter. For had Mordecai been honored five years before, the events of this critical day could not have occurred. Rewards and punishment uh, were basic to the Persian system of maintaining loyalty, and it was unusual for this kind of service not to be rewarded. And then why uh, was Mordecai's good deed written down but forgotten? Did some junior clerk in the bureaucracy have a grudge against Mordecai? Did the office memo go astray? Well, we don't know. But this we do know, that God was in charge and that he had already selected the day selected for Mordecai to be honored. Now, is God in charge of schedules? He certainly is. You think you made a schedule? Ah, did you make the schedule, or is God in charge of schedules? I think of Bible examples. After befriending Pharaoh's butler, Joseph thought it would be uh, it would lead to be uh, uh, being released from prison. 
But Joseph had to wait two years until the time God had chosen for him to become the second ruler of Egypt. I think about God had a specific day selected for the Jews to leave Egypt. The birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem occurred when in the fullness of time was come, the Bible tells us. A dedicated believer is able to say, my times are in thy hand, as it says in Psalm 31, verse 15. And that person can find peace in doing God's will. It's been said that God's delays are not God's denials. We sometimes get impatient and we we wonder why the wicked are prospering while the uh, righteous are suffering. But God is never in a hurry. He is long-suffering toward wicked men because he wants them to repent and he's patient with his people because he wants them to receive the right reward at the right time for the right purpose. And if Mordecai was ever puzzled because the king promoted Haman but ignored him, he would soon find out that God had not made a mistake. But then notice the fifth evidence. The timely arrival of Haman. Now it's possible that Haman had been up all night. Maybe he couldn't sleep. Probably because he was eager to get Mordecai taken care of. He had enjoyed the supervision of the construction of the gallows that he had planned to hang Mordecai on. And it was very early in the morning, but Haman wanted to see the king as soon as possible. He wanted to get his permission for the execution. And so from Haman's point of view, the earlier the hanging, the better. Mordecai's body would then be on exhibition all day, and this would uh, delight Haman and also put fear into the hearts of the Jews in the city. And after executing Mordecai, Haman could be certain that everybody would obey the king's command and they would bow down to him. But just suppose that Haman was, had been two hours later. What if he'd been a little later than he was? Well, the king would have consulted with his advisors and Haman would have been left out of the celebration for Mordecai. And God wanted Haman to spend the day honoring Mordecai, not gloating over his corpse on the gallows. God was actually warning Haman that he'd better change his course or he'd end up being destroyed. And so there you have five evidences of the providence of God. When you look at them, you can't help but want to praise and thank God for how great he is. Psalm 33, 10 and 11 says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Romans 8.31, What shall we say then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we have a night of discovery that leads us to a morning of decision. We see this in verses 6 through 10. Now, it is one thing to enter in the king's throne room. But Haman was invited, really, into the king's bedchamber, it would seem. Uh, This new honor only increased his pride and false confidence. He thought he was in control of events and Mordecai's doom was sealed. 
And the king had asked for Haman's advice on a personal matter, and this really inflated Haman's ego even more. And in verse 6, the king's question was vague and didn't identify the man whom the king delighteth to honor. In his pride, Haman concluded that the king was speaking about him. After all, what other man in the, the empire deserves such an honor from the king? After the way Mordecai had insulted him, Haman would now get double revenge. First, Mordecai could see Haman honored by the king, and then Mordecai would be hanged by the gallows, on the gallows. And then Haman would then climax the day, feasting merrily with the king and the queen. Little did proud Haman realize that before the day would end, the situation would be completely reversed. Haman would be forced to honor Mordecai before the people of the city. Esther's feast would turn out to expose a, a traitor. And Haman, not Mordecai, would end up on the gallows. I think it's interesting how many of the Proverbs fit this situation. Proverbs 11 and verse 8, The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. Proverbs 18 and verse 12 says, Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. The first half of that verse seems to apply to Haman, and the last half to Mordecai. What a difference a little comma makes, doesn't it? Proverbs 29 and verse 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Again, Two contrasting thoughts there. Haman was thinking that the honors the king was describing would be for him. Haman was asked for the very best, asked for the very best to be uh, to be dressed in the king's own apparel, to ride on the king's horse, and then a noble prince would lead the horse through the city. Be like a coronation. Perhaps Haman wanted the throne for himself, and if those things were actually done for him, the people of Shushan might get the impression the king had chosen him to be the, the, his successor. But if you notice there in verse 10, verse 10 it says, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. You get the impression the king completely forgot about the decree that he had permitted Haman to issue concerning the Jews. And so it's a morning of decision. The king decided to reward Mordecai, and Haman had decided what the reward would be. So that brings us to a day of disgrace. Now we might wonder what Haman's response was when the king told him to do all these things for Mordecai. Was he shocked? We don't know because it doesn't tell us, but just tells us Haman followed the instructions. He dressed him in the king's apparel. He got the horse for him to ride, and he led him through the streets. Now that's quite some irony there. For almost a whole day, Haman was the servant of Mordecai, commanding the people to bow down and honor him, the thing that Mordecai wouldn't do for Haman. And so the question is, how did this affect Mordecai? Well, he simply returned to his place at the gate, it tells us, and continued to serve the king. 
You know, applause doesn't change a truly humble person, for their values are far deeper. God can trust His blessings with the humble because they seek to honor only the Lord. And yet Haman's reaction was quite different. Yes, he was humiliated. He went home and he covered his head as though he was grieving for the dead. And this is the way Mordecai had responded to the king's decree concerning the Jews back in chapter 4. But Haman had no desire to see the people because he had been humiliated before them and he knew that they were probably laughing at him behind his back. And here again we see the difference between reputation and character. Haman was a famous man, a man of reputation, but he was not a man of character. His reputation depended on his office, his wealth, his authority, all that could be easily taken from him. You can't take a man's character from him, though. What a contrast between Haman's family gathering in verse 13 and the one in chapter 5. Before Haman had boasted of his greatness, now he had to confess that he had been humiliated. And if there had been any other official or on the horse but Mordecai the Jew, Haman might have been able to handle the situation. But having to honor a Jew demoralized him completely. Well, at this point, his wife and friends made an interesting statement. Look at it there in verse 13. Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. His humiliation in the streets and these words in his house should have alarmed Haman and changed his attitude. Changed his course of action. You see, God was warning Haman. But the proud prime minister would not give heed to the warning. Even in his humiliation here, does he repent? Does he ask for mercy? If he did... He would have, if he would have, he likely would have saved his life and the lives of his ten sons. And so what we're looking at here, the big problem is pride. I think it's the biggest problem of all. Listen to what the Bible says. And I, I'm going to do something I don't usually do. Is I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses, and I'm not going to comment on them. I'm going to let God's Word speak. So let the Word of God speak to you as we close this morning. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 29 and verse 23, A man's pride shall bring him low. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Proverbs 11 and verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 26 and verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? 
There is more hope of a fool than him. James 4 and verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Proverbs 16 and verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 27 and verse 2, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. 1 John 2 and verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this of the world. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. 2 Timothy 3 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Unholy. Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Second Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number, compare ourselves with some that that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Romans 12 and verse 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4, He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and surmisings. Proverbs eleven twelve, He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. Proverbs 8 and verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 30 and verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Revelation 3 and verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Romans 12 and verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Proverbs 25 and verse 14. Whoso boasts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Mark seven twenty one. For from within, out of the heart of men, Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 
Obadiah 1 and verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Ezekiel 28 and verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Isaiah 5 and verse 15. And the mean man shall be brought down. And the mighty man shall be humbled. And the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. Proverbs 15 and verse 12. A scorner loveth not that it reproveth him. Neither will he go into the wise. Romans 1 and verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Jeremiah 9, 23, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Proverbs 29 and verse 8, Scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. Proverbs 21 and verse 24, Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Proverbs 10, 17, He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. 1 Corinthians 3, 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Jeremiah thirteen fifteen. Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Mark twelve twenty eight. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. Proverbs eighteen and verse twelve. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention. And with the well advised is wisdom. Proverbs 12.15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto the counsel is wise. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Ephesians 4 and verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Did you think there are so many verses about pride, and how we walked. I trust that God's word will speak to your hearts this morning. Perhaps in your heart this morning there's, a, there's an area of pride. I think that was Haman's biggest problem, and I think that's 
my biggest problem, and I think that's our biggest problem. What are we going to do with the pride that's in our hearts? Let's pray.